everyone. Welcome back to Swiping Sunday. I hope something great happens to you today. This week, I'm sharing Nicole Delbean's story of accomplishing her lifelong dream of becoming a professional ballerina, as well as the eventual loss of that identity that she had attached to around the same exact time that she was also losing her mother to cancer. This story is of course full of loss, but also strength. And I hope in listening that you realize, just as I did, that no one grieves the same, no one reacts the same, and no one has to because there is no right or wrong way. Life and love, loss and grief are all experiences specific to one person, that person in them. I hope that Nicole's incredible resilience and vulnerability in this episode can help you through whatever kind of struggle that you might have in front of you today. I think that it's kind of impossible not to talk about dance when I think about you. How old were you when you started dancing, actually? Probably two and a half. Two and a half. Two, yeah. I was thinking you were going to say five and that was young. Oh my God. No, I mean, you like start in the, in the, the little, baby, like mm-hmm. pre-creative, whatever, where you like yeah. run around. But I guess like actual training, I was probably seven when yeah, I really started. So young. Yeah. And you were able to... Like you're one of the few that became a professional dancer as an adult growing up in that kind of like culture as a kid. Did you like, did you have Abby Lou Miller's in your life and stuff? Like, is it (laughs) really like that? I need to know. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yes and no. I mean, where we grew up, there weren't, there weren't a lot of dancers. Like, Mm -hmm. that's why it's like, you know, you like think of of me and you're like, oh, she's the dancer, you know, like she's she's the ballet dancer because there's just not that, that many where we grew up and, or like at least that many with taking it seriously, such a, yeah, such a focus and such a drive, like at that young age. I mean, of course there's like crazy teachers. I mean, ballet dancers are crazy. They (laughs) really dancers. (laughs) Yes. They're so, I mean, that it's ballet dancers that turn into ballet teachers and and you like wonder why they're crazy. And it's like, now that I've actually been a little bit more in the, in the career and in the field, I think, Oh my gosh. Okay. I get it. And I need to work so hard to never become that because it's exhausting (laughs) (laughs) to like take a class from, from, I mean, just crazy, crazy people. But I mean, I knew from when I was super young that that's what I wanted to do. And I mean, I didn't even really have like a connection in high school or anything. You know, that's why I was like, I was so driven for this one particular goal. And I, there was literally nothing that was going to stop me. Luckily, I had the talent to back it up, so to speak. Yeah, but it was a lot of hard work too. It was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of sacrifice. And I think that's probably like the biggest thing to kind of get over as a kid. It's like, no, you can't go to that sleepover. No, you can't because, you know, you've got to be at the studio at 9 a.m. and that's mm-hmm. just not going to happen. Or, you know, going into high school, no, you can't go to that party. You can't go to homecoming. You can't go to mm-hmm. this. You can't like, so it literally becomes your identity. Yeah. Because you, you don't, you don't have that's your life. Do yeah. anything else. Yeah, exactly. So knowing that if that's what you want to do as a career, you have to make that decision so young. Yeah. You need so much work to get there. Exactly. If you wait to make it, then it's too late. So, I mean, unless you're, you know, an superhuman. Yeah, exactly. So I knew from a young age, that's what I wanted to do. Nothing was going to stop me kind of just kept myself at the studio. And, you know, of course I had friends in school and everything, but I mean, I was just, I was devoted to dance. I really was. And now I kind of look back and the one thing that I, I don't regret any of it, obviously, That's but good. the one thing that I do wish, I wish I played a team sport. 
Really? Okay. I, I really wish I played a team sport and it's okay. So last year I got really into the women's world cup mm-hmm. in soccer and I, and now, you know, I watch the NWSL and I just have such respect for, you know, any type of athlete that can condition their body that way and can really just have such a passion for something like that. But but so many people think that about ballerinas and ballet and everything. I know. No, totally. And, but I just wish, and, you know, of course in ballet, we're all, you know, encouraging each other and, and helping each other out. And, but it's Different. not it's exactly at the end of the day you're going for that one job, you know, mm-hmm. you're all vying for That's that one true. position. And so there's so much, you know, camaraderie and there's so much, you know, team spirit, but at the, at the same time, it's like, yes, yeah. I'm going to be supportive, but I want that job. Yeah. Like you're all going yeah. for the lead kind of thing. Exactly. And so I wish that I had had that team you know, experience. Team- Yes, exactly. Um, so that's, think, the, that's the one thing that I just, I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I played soccer or, you know. Did you not ever do soccer or anything? I feel like, I don't know why I thought that well, you. Okay. I did it. I literally did it one year in kindergarten. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't even know you then, but I just don't <laughs> know why I thought that you did something else too. But well, I played in the powder puff football game for about seven seconds. Same. I was like yeah. four seconds probably. They didn't trust me at all. <laughs> But it's thanks to thanks to you actually that I played in that game. Really? Yes, because we were in English, and you you asked me. You were like, "Do you want to do the powder puff?" And I of course. And I really thought I was like, "Okay, Nicole, you've got to do something. You have yeah. you must do something at John Jay High School like Aww. that involves other people." I'm so glad we did it, even though they didn't trust us with the ball. <laughs> Oh no, I, I didn't even come close to the ball. Like, <laughs> I literally, I'm pretty sure I just ran. I literally say, and then I back, came back out. And that was it. And then they're like, okay, come off. Yeah, they're like, that's it. We need someone else. <laughs> yeah. That's what they like, did to I me. I or anything. I literally had. I ran in like running shoes. Yeah. Yeah. I, no. Thanks to you, I played on a, on a very, very <laughs> limited type of team sport <laughs> for about four that. days. I'm glad that happened, Elise. That was fun. (laughs) Do you think that just the fact that I guess everyone is going for that lead role, that's really not common in a lot of sports or, or jobs. Like you have more opportunity, but if that's the main goal of everyone, I guess, is that why you think everyone gets so crazy and like, is just a perfectionist about it? Oh, absolutely. Well, and especially for women, I mean, you're just, yeah, there's so many of us. Mm-hmm. You know, you, there's, you have to stand out in some way there yeah. has to be. And if you're somebody that doesn't have like crazy flexibility or can do, you know, six turns in one gut, like if you don't have some type of party trick, mm-hmm. you have to find a way to really stand out. And, and I didn't have that. So I was going to say, did you have a party trick? No, not really. I, I was super flexible when I was a kid. But then yeah. I actually had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I had like a cyst in my wrist and I had to get surgery and all these things. But anyway, it was basically like my shot, my, my body kind of like shut down. And so I lost a lot of mobility and I oh like God. slowly gained it back and I stayed in dance and, and everything. And, and it, it, I mean, it didn't really affect me mentally. I was so young. It didn't really, like I didn't care, but you know, definitely growing up, I was like, oh, okay, this is 
why I can't do some of these things. So I didn't have all that flexibility. I mean, I was, wasn't awful. Flexible enough. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I didn't have that like, oh my gosh, wow, look at this girl. Yeah. And like, you know, do that crazy thing (laughs) situation. Yes. But I really, I mean, I really had, I had so much passion. Yeah. And that kept you going. Yeah. And in the small bubble that I was in and, you know, Hopewell and Fishkill, New York, I was noticed for sure. Yeah, definitely. And so, yeah, so I graduated high school early. Again, no, just no commitment to that school at all. I was like ready to go. Um, And I went to SUNY Purchase and I did my undergrad there um, in the conservatory, which was amazing. So, so amazing. I'm so glad because a lot of dancers don't go to college. Um, they go straight into the yeah. professional world and which is fantastic. Definitely not for me because I needed to grow up. Yeah. I was going to say grow up a little. Yeah. So much that you go through in your college years. And I'm really glad that I did that because I did miss so much growing up. Yeah. It was great for me to have that experience. I mean, it was not, you know, it was not a big college. It was not. It was your experience though. It was like your version of what you needed. Exactly. Went there. I got to study abroad, which was amazing. Where did you study? I didn't know that. I studied in I don't Hong- remember that. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. Hong Kong, like the year before everything started to kind of crumble. So we got it at the height of, I went with one other girl um, and we just kind of took on Hong Kong. And it That's was amazing. amazing. So yeah. amazing. I mean, we danced from nine in the morning until seven thirty at night. Oh my was, gosh! Was dance very different? Like, was the culture around it or the teachers that you got to work with there very different, or no? Kind of the same mentality type. Pretty similar. The wonderful thing about dance and or, and ballet in particular is that it's universal. Yeah, you know, the whole language of ballet is actually in French, and so it's like anywhere you go, you're not translating. You, That's you really walk cool. to ballet class, and you totally understand. I mean, they give corrections. So our main ballet teacher was from mainland China. So he spoke um, Mandarin. Um, And in Hong Kong, they speak Cantonese. But our main ballet teacher spoke Mandarin. And so we learned throughout the semester what, you know, like point your feet or stand up straight. Or we learned like what his his words were. Yeah. Yes. Which was really interesting. But for the most part, very, very similar you know, yeah. the flow of class and everything, but just the greatest experience. And I mean, I, I hope that anybody that gets a chance really, really grabs onto it and goes abroad, yeah. obviously not right now, but if they, if they have a chance to study abroad in college. That was or- literally my only regret in life, like not only regret in life, but like the one that always stands out is that I didn't study abroad. So a hundred percent, like I usually say I don't regret anything because it all happens for a reason, but not studying abroad, like you never have that kind of opportunity again. Yeah. And there's just kind of a sense of freedom of doing it when you're still a student because yeah. you no, know, you like don't, <laughs> you don't have those student loans yet. So you don't actually oh know my God. all costing. <laughs> yeah. <So, laughs> which is how you want to spend time abroad, you know, you yeah. just really 100%. Like do whatever you want. Yeah. So that was amazing. And then I graduated and I moved down to Austin. And you got a job, you moved down there because you got a job as a dancer, right? Yes. So basically the process is you, uh, you know, usually like January through March is audition season and you audition for companies. And a lot of times they'll ask you to go to their summer program three to six weeks over the summer where they get to look at you 
you know, more in depth and see your work ethic and see, you know, how well you fare. It's like the longest interview process in the world. <laughs> yeah. The dance world is, it's a very frustrating yeah. place it's to hard. be. Yes. So I, I had gone to Ballet Austin in 2013, the, the summer before I studied abroad, so the summer before my junior year, which was great. And I'm glad I went then because I really had an idea of the faculty and the way I would be working there. And so I kind of knew going into my senior year of college that that's where I wanted to be. And I also knew that I did not want to live in New York City okay. because I went to school so close to New York. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people that graduated from that school moved when, to the city. Yeah. And I just, I saw the struggle. Mm -hmm. I yeah. really struggle and I love New York and I love visiting, but I, it just takes a certain person to be able to really, really make that all work. And I just knew that dance was going to become a side thing. And I was going to be having, you know, three other jobs trying to be able to pay rent and then trying like, yeah, it was too much. And I knew, yeah, I knew that that was not what I wanted. So I auditioned for Ballet Austin. I went to their summer program and then through the summer program is when they offered the job. So I got the job, moved down in August and yeah, and I, I did it. I like got That's to, so amazing. It was, it was euphoric. It really was because it was like, okay, I've worked for almost two decades for this and I finally, I got it. You know, it was so awesome. And most companies, the way it works is you get hired as an apprentice and some companies have their own separate apprentice companies and they'll call it second, uh, their second company. So you have Ballet Austin 2 and then Ballet Austin's the main company. So I was um, hired into Ballet Austin 2 as an apprentice and I, you know, we performed our own set of works and we performed with the company. A lot of work amazing amazing i mean beautiful studios yeah living in austin texas which is such a cool city yeah. um, and i did that for two years and then at the end of two years you can be an apprentice for two years and then at the end of that they either hire uh, hire you into the company or they tell you that you know you're you don't have a position um oh wow okay yeah it was heartbreaking because they didn't have a position for me and it was really difficult because I was actually, I was invited at the end of my first year, I was invited by the director to accompany Ballet Austin, the main company, on a tour to China for a month. And so I was one of only two apprentices that was invited to do that. And so, you know, you kind of like, you get this invitation and you... you yeah, you feel like you're in kind of. Yeah. And you really mesh well with the company and you have, you know, conferences with the faculty and you think you're on this path for sure. And, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you get this, we're really sorry, but we don't have a position. You know, we tried to basically, the reason that I got at least was that they tried to fill the vacancies with people that look and dance like those that are leaving, which, I mean, if you think about it, like, if you think about Broadway or you think about even they like they all do the same. Exactly. They're, you, you're, you're trying to fit this, you know, this image so of what you're looking for. Yeah. That's literally what they said to you flat out. And they didn't give any specifics or anything, but they just said that they. But like about, it was about your physical appearance, which is like another part of the ballet world that's so hard is obviously the stereotypes of eating disorders and the stress on yeah. the body and. 
all of that. Oh my God. Yeah. And to be honest, to be honest, I, I mean, I never really worried too much about, you know, what I was eating or what I, the way I looked or anything. I was really fortunate to kind of just be a petite person in general. And so it worked out for me to be a dancer and, um, so I never really worried about that before. It's now after that I'm not dancing full time. And I'm like, oh, you know, like that's when the, it's like different. that body dysmorphia kind of really sets in and you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, this, this is because I spent 20 years looking in, at myself in a mirror with nothing but tights and a leotard on. Oh my God. You know? Yeah. I yeah. would never be able to do that. It's so much scrutiny. Right. And, but for me, at least when I was dancing, like I wasn't really looking and being like, oh my gosh, I wish I could fix this. I wish I didn't look, I I just, I just really didn't care because I was dancing so much that yeah, like, you know, I was more than than I was taking in, not because I wasn't eating, but because I was just doing so much. Mm -hmm. And now afterwards, then I look and I'm like, oh my God, I can't. So that's taken a while to kind of retrain my mind that yeah. it really doesn't matter what yeah. you look like. And, you know, that's people don't walk the streets and judge me based on the way I look, no, you know, of course, but that's it's so that's hard to accept is. that though. Yeah. Obviously we all care about what people think of us, but right. in reality, we're all always thinking about ourselves. Like, we're like, I look too big. I look too small. I look like this. Oh my God. They probably looked at me and thought this. And it's like, you're walking down the street thinking that. And so is everyone else. Everyone needs to just stop. We're all so self-absorbed over things that. So bad. The thing over the things that we think other people are going to notice. They don't have time to notice because they're also so self-absorbed. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's so hard to accept, but it's so true. It's so sick. Yeah. (laughs) It's so bad. Oh my God. I know. So. But you feel, have you felt like you've kind of recovered from that and like you're happy with where you're at or you think it's kind of just a journey you'll always kind of be on because you grew up in that way? No, I think it's something that I'll always have to remind myself. I don't know if it's harder because I never really cared about it before or if it's I'm better off just finding this, you know, these issues now. I have no idea, but I think it's something because, you know, going forward, I mean... You'll never burn as much calories it's as you never did. Gonna get better, right. It's never going to get yeah. better than this. So we're just on a downhill <laughs> slope now. I mean, we're, <laughs> there's not, unless, you know, medicine can somehow resist aging. Yeah. Which, yeah. but I'm also kind of like, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. No, I just look reminding at myself, yourself. Yeah. People that know me, they, I, I don't really actually think that they notice a difference. It's like me noticing a difference, you know? Oh, yeah, because of course. I was so, I was all muscle. And now all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, there's more than that. And that's freaky to me. Yeah, yeah, of course. But that's so normal. So normal. It's literally so normal. Yeah, and, and your so- body can't like exist forever purely of muscle, like no matter what. Exactly. So even if you were still dancing, like age just right. is age. <laughs> right. So that's, a, yes. So I'm, I'm getting there. It's getting better. And also... So I started teaching my second year as an apprentice. I, they, I was invited to teach at their academy. And so knowing that there were students that were paying attention to how many times I looked at myself in the mirror, 
how many times I, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I would see them kind of notice. Yes. And like, if, if I, if I was looking at my arm a certain way, then I would see that they would start to look at their arms that way or that, you know what I mean? And it's oh, yeah. nothing, nothing horrible, but it kind of was like a little reality check for me. Like, okay, these kids are watching you. You need to be an example for them. And you need to make it very clear that it does not matter what you look like, mm-hmm. you know, and that no matter what you're given, you can make it work. So teaching really, really, really helped me kind of start to get over that. Yeah, that's amazing. I feel like also you said that you have to make a conscious effort not to become those crazy ballet teachers and stuff. Yeah. So is yeah. it? do you think it's just like, I think that some of it has to do with how you're brought up probably just feeling like you are good enough and stuff because how do you mm-hmm. really stop yourself from becoming that when everyone around you is that? Yeah, so I actually, I mean, I was very lucky growing up to be able to have a lot of different teachers and I absorbed a lot from each of those teachers and I kind of held on to the things that I really liked about every one of them. And so when I started to teach, I tried to kind of, you know, pull from all of those positives. Yeah, that's great. And, and I also like one thing, and I think it's really important now with all these younger kids having social media and, you know, just kind of like growing up way faster than even we did, let alone our parents. Yeah. I think it's really important for them to like understand that I'm a person and that I have a life. I have good days and bad days and I'm not afraid to kind of be vulnerable and share that with them because that Mm -hmm. was something I had no idea about any of my dance teachers personal lives. Mm -hmm. Not that I like walk in and share all these, you know, super personal things, but like they knew that I had a boyfriend. They knew that I, you know, they, they they're not a robot. Yeah. Yes. And I think that that to be able to connect with, so I, I mean, I teach a lot of different ages, but the age range that I kind of really click with is that like middle school to high school range. And I think that that's such a vulnerable time just in every person's life Yeah. that for me to be able to connect with them and for them to see like, okay, I had a bad day and so did Miss Nicole, you yeah. know, so it's okay if I tell her, yeah. it's okay. Like I do this when I take attendance the way that they tell me they're here is they have to explain their day in one word. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, because it, I mean, you, you danced too. Like you go through this entire day of school and of course there's drama and you forgot to do homework or you, you know what I mean? Like, or you have all this homework that you now yeah. need to go home. Like it's so hard to step into the studio and just be there. Yeah. Yeah. And as the teacher, I noticed that. You know, I see who's present and who's not. And I want to know why. You're the kind of teacher that the world needs. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just teaching ballet. So it's like. No, so, seriously, I, though, th- especially like that ballet is so much of a ballerina, um, s- someone who's dancing's life. So you're such a big part of them. So that's so nice that you make it something safe and comfortable for them. Yeah. And it helps me, too. You know, I mean, I was going through so much when I first started teaching and. So I'm sure part of that kind of played into how I, cause I wanted to connect with people cause I felt so lonely and I felt so lost. And so, you know, the fact that I was able to really establish these connections with these kids and with the parents, and it was, it was such a good working relationship on all levels. You know, it made me feel good about where I was going in my life because mm-hmm. I, you know, 
my whole, my career was gone. You know, it was like my whole, my whole identity, you yeah. know, when I, when I didn't get that job, it was like, oh my gosh, this is who I am. You know, I'm Nicole the dancer. I'm Nicole the ballerina, you know, and it's like that sense of failure and that sense of like, okay, well, I can't go home. I can't, you know, I can't go back to all these people that were like, oh my gosh, that's the ballerina, you know, you know, so yeah. it's this real, you just feel like you, you've lost your whole identity. And you and, got that back with teaching. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's, there's a sense of purpose, you know, like you, you walk into the room and those kids, they need you, they need you to conduct a class and they need you to, you know, make sure that they're safe and they, they, yeah. they, they need you. So that sense of needing was really helpful for me. That makes you feel good. That gives you the purpose. And it's, you said you were going through a lot then. I don't know the timeline of everything, but if that's something that keeps you going, then that's a part of your calling too. Even though you're not the one that's performing, you're still a part of that. And you're still, right. I feel like you are the type of person who enjoys helping others too. So teaching yeah. and helping others is something that helps you feel good, which is what we all need to find in our life anyway. Right. And I think I got that like sense of team through that. Oh yeah, that's true. That, yeah. You know, They're because, like your team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's cool. and that, so I got that sense of like, okay, I'm going to foster this real, you know, not, I'm not going to foster this competition. I'm going to foster this connection and this family team feeling that's and, amazing. Yeah. And they thrive off of it, you know, because these middle schoolers and high schoolers, I cannot imagine going through middle school with Instagram. No. Oh my God. I have an episode coming up about that and I'm like scared to record it because I feel so bad. It's, yeah. it's torture as an adult. Like I'm 26 and Instagram still yeah. makes me sad sometimes. Like that's pathetic, but also watch the social dilemma and you'll see why this is like ingrained yeah. in our head. It's literally mental manipulation on our phone exactly. every day exactly so as your brain is still forming yeah I oh. this is what's happening and so I just I feel like it's so much harder for those kids to be kids mm -hmm. and I want to give them that safe space and and they they allow that you know yeah. they they really welcome that and That's so amazing. yeah it, it did it gave me a whole new passion it really did it like I went as I was moving and I was packing things up I I um, have like a whole box of cards from students and parents oh. and everything. And I was kind of reading through That's them sweet. and I just thought, I was like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm on the right path. You know, I had to go through all of these shitty, shitty things. Yeah. And now I finally feel like I'm confident in what I'm going to be doing. That's good. It took a long time. Of course. <laughs> I mean, that, and so I didn't get the job in 2017. So it's been three years. Oh my gosh. Like, doesn't seem like that long of a time no, I, in the grand scheme of things, but it's like, it's felt like a lifetime. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I so. spent my last four years in Manhattan and three of them were pretty sad. So <laughs> I, I get it. Like totally. It felt like it was never ending. And it's, and I was saying this the other day, like all these people say, you know, your twenties are your best years and you know, I, I, I literally cannot wait. To get out. I will thrive. You know yourself better <laughs> in your thirties. You know yourself. You're more solid in what you're doing and, yes, and everything exactly. else. Like there's no way that this could be the best year. <laughs> I know. I wonder, I'm like, who 
Who came up with that? I don't know. Because I just, I can't. I'm, I everybody. I totally agree. Yeah. I can. Yeah, you're wait. more aware of yourself. You're more yeah. solid in your finances, hopefully, and yes, in your exactly. goals just, and everything. Yes. Yes. There's such, there, you feel more secure just yeah. across the board. And I cannot wait to feel that way. <laughs> you will, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so you moved away from your family. And I know that you were very yeah. close to your family. And we want to talk about that topic as well. Yes. So in that, time of everything happening with dance was that around the same time that you also had the loss of your mom yes everything happened very very on top of each other which is how it always happens i guess that's just like the way you think life happens sometimes so at once i moved to austin in 2015 at the in the summer of 2015 2015 into 2016 fantastic living the dream. The season ended 20 May, 2016. My mom and my sister came down to see the performance and wonderful. I went home for a month and I came back down to Austin in June, the end of June. And then in the beginning of August was when my mom went into the hospital. Um, So she just kind of had stomach pains and they didn't really know what was going on. They thought it was gallbladder. Then they thought it was I don't know, small intestines, all these different things. Finally, they found that there was a tumor on the pancreas, um, but they didn't know if it was um, cancerous or benign. I, meanwhile, go back to work because we're going to China. It was, we were going to China from October through the middle of November. So I'm back at work. We're preparing to go to China. And then I get, I'm at work. My dad sends me a text saying that the tumor was malignant. So, you know, it's pancreatic cancer. And of course, I mean, I was just, I was like, okay, like I didn't know what to do. Yeah. How how can you? So, and of course I'm thinking like, okay, well, we don't have a lot of information. He knew that she was going to have to have some kind of surgery I didn't know at the time the severity of it all, but that there was a possibility that maybe I was going to have to go home and, you know, Mm -hmm. but I was literally leaving one week. I was leaving for China. Mm -hmm. So I decided I needed to tell my bosses. So I went in and a wonderful, wonderful friend, one of the other dancers came in with me and, you know, because I was crying and I was like, oh my gosh. Boss, I was like, listen, this is the news I just got. I don't know a lot. This is where I'm at. And she was wonderful. And I had rehearsal. And so she said, what do you want to do? Do you need to go home? Do you need to, you do whatever you need to do. Just let me know. And of course I was like, no, I need to, I need to stay. Like I've got to go to rehearsal because I need a job. Right. I'm like vying for this job and that, you know, mentality you've 20 years of your life. Yeah. was like, I can't, I've got to, I can't show them that this is going to be a weakness, which is just, yeah. yeah. So, but at the, you know, on the other side, it's a distraction. Like, what else am I going to do? Just go cry. You know, I'm no, I'm going to go into the studio and I'm going to use this as a distraction. Exactly. So went through the day, we got more information. Turns out it wasn't that bad. They had full confidence that it would all be fine. They're going to do an aggressive form of uh, chemotherapy. And then they have to do this kind of crazy surgery called a Whipple procedure. Um, And then another round of chemo after that. And then she should have been okay. So we thought, okay, great. 
went to China. I was able to uh, call in during her first chemotherapy session and, um, you know, hang out with her. And um, yeah, so that was great. It was hard. It was very, very difficult because, you know, of course you're always thinking the worst or I'm always thinking the worst. Same. And every day I'm in China and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. Looking up (laughs) flights, God forbid, I have to get back and, you, you know, just totally taking it to the extreme. And, and Charlie and I had like just started dating maybe a few months prior. So, you know, I'm like trying to not show my crazy, crazy neurotic self, but of course I am wonderful. And he, you know, thousands of miles away on the other side of the world, trying to calm me down and, you know, make sure that I'm still focusing on dancing because at the end of the day, I've got to get this job. And, you know, so there's just all these layers of things. So many things going in your head. That's so hard. Yeah. So we get back from China, all is well. She's going through chemo. And it was just a really, it just hit her really hard. Um, The chemo? Yeah. I, so I never got the chance to go to chemo with her because we got back from China and then we went right into Nutcracker. And Nutcracker runs the whole winter. Yeah. Well, we go all of December. So we go all the way up to December 23rd and then we fly home on Christmas Eve. And that was going to be the first time that I actually saw her and nobody really prepared me. And it was, oh my God, it was, it was like the most terrifying thing because they just didn't tell you how bad she was. Yeah. Well, I mean, they said that she's really weak, but I didn't realize like she had lost like 70 pounds. Wow. What was that? Like six weeks. That is drastic in such a short amount of time. Yeah. It was insane. Um, and she, wasn't like strong enough to come get me from the airport, which is, you know, very strange. Of course, she's like always there with a sandwich in her hand, ready to, you know, feed me. (laughs) So, um, you know, my dad picked me up and he looked exhausted and he just was just really glad that I was home. And, um, she was in bed when I got there. And of course she cried and she was just really sad that she couldn't come get me. And, she wasn't even strong enough to hug me. And, and it ended up, that was just a bad day. I was home for maybe two or three weeks and there were definitely days that were better, but she, like we went shopping and she had to be in a wheelchair and you know, she, yeah, that's shell shock for you. And my mom did everything. Like I remember your mom. (laughs) Like I, I do. It was like hostess extraordinaire. Everything is she's always got food ready. She's always got drinks ready. She's always like, she's ready to have people over and oh my gosh, it's Christmas time. Let's wrap the gifts. Let's, we've got to actually, we've got to put them under the tree in this particular way and make sure that, you know, <laughs> there's make sure some of Nicole's gifts are here and some of Jesse's are here and might like, it's like, it's a whole process, you know? So none of that was done. No cookies were made. You know what I mean? So it was just like, yeah, such a shock. Um, I was supposed to come up to Vermont to Charlie's for New Year's. And I said, no way I'm going to stay here. He came down, which was wonderful because he got to kind of hang out with my mom a little bit. Um, so January comes, I go back to Austin and she had her surgery in February and it's like a pretty big surgery. I debated coming home and she was like, no way you're not coming home. You've got to be there. This is your dream. There's just no way. Why would you come home to sit in the hospital for hours and hours? That just doesn't make sense. So I stayed. 
I had a performance the week after her surgery. So we were like heavily in rehearsals. Surgery went well. And then she was home and she was, they had, she had to like, she had to get a little bit stronger before she could go into chemo again. So she was recovering from the surgery. So that was February, March. And then at the end of March is when I found out that I wasn't hired. My God. Yeah. (laughs) So I find out I'm not hired. Um, Of course, I'm devastated. And of course, my mom is devastated. And I I felt like I just failed her, you know, and my dad, because it's like, I mean, how much money did they put into that, you know? But you still did it. You still... No, I know. Are a success. Like, look back and I, you know, I'm proud of... of In the moment, yeah. But in the moment, I was like, oh my gosh, I, like, how could I not make it, you know? And... So she was, of course, just distraught over that. And, um, but I had to stay because the season wasn't over. And she just kind of started to, she just like started to not get better, basically. Like she would get a little bit better and then she would kind of fall back. And she ended up in the hospital a couple of times. She had like a few infections and different things. And, and my family actually started to get really kind of annoyed with her because it just seemed like she wasn't trying, you know, and to get better. Yeah. And they would call me and they would say, you know, maybe you can talk to her and try to get her to get up and, and go for walks. And cause when they would say something, she would just kind of say, I'm so tired. I can't get up. It hurt. Like it hurts to walk or, you know, whatever. And to us, it just kind of seemed like an excuse. And especially for the kids, because like, you don't have an excuse when you're, in, in this family. There are no excuses, you know, like. Was it more like you guys thought maybe it was like depression talking, but really it was cancer or? Yeah, well, we, she's super stubborn. She was super stubborn. The most stubborn person I've ever met. So a lot of the time it was just like, okay, well, mom's being stubborn again. And, you know, there's only so much we can say. And there were a couple of times where I called her and I just kind of tried to gently say, you know, okay, well, you know, I would say like, I'm going to go for a walk. Why don't I call you? You go for a walk. I'll go for a walk. We'll talk to each other while we're going. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I do that. Yeah. And she was just like, Nicole, I get this from everybody else. I can't, I can't do it. And so we all thought that she just wasn't trying and come to learn that, I mean, chemo affects your brain. Yeah. And it It affects everything. Yeah. And it's like, to the point where you're, you're not, you're, you're not thinking the way that you normally would think. And we just really didn't, we didn't know that at the time or have that full understanding, comprehension of that. And so we thought she was being stubborn, but it was really like that will had just left her brain basically. Um, And so she just kept getting worse and worse. She ended up in the hospital over mother's day. She got out and then she finally went back in and they put her in the ICU, her blood pressure was dropping and there were all these issues. And, um, at that point my season was done. I was figuring out what I was going to do with my life. Kind of Charlie and I decided that we were going to move in together and I decided that I needed the constant. So I decided to stay in Austin, continue to teach and not dance full time for the year. And because it had just been such a crazy year. And so that was figured out. Then my mom went into the ICU and I would talk to my dad every day and I would, you know, he'd be like, it's fine. She's fine. It's okay. And then finally I was kind of like, okay, I really need to know, like, please let me know when I need to come home. 
you know, you've got to let me know because I got to get a flight. You know, I can't be there in an hour and a half. I've got to yeah. give me a day to get there. And he yeah. kind of kept saying, no, 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 it's fine. She'll turn around. She'll be okay. And I would call the hospital and it was like, I would get some answers and not others. And then so luckily I quick diversion when I first moved down to earth. Yeah. When I first flew down to Austin in 2013, I met this lady at JFK boarding the plane who's from Austin and we just started chatting and she, you know, she gave me her card and she was like, you seem like such a sweet girl. We'd love to show you around Austin. I took her up on that and I, you know, stayed in contact with her and her family basically became my family when I moved to Austin and they're just the most That's amazing. wonderful people ever. But this family, her, um, her brother-in-law is a doctor, Don in Austin. And so he was able to call my mom's doctor up in New York and get the lowdown. So he could, you know, explain it to me in layman's terms. Yeah. And he basically called me one day and he said, you need to go home. You've got to go. You like, you've got to get a flight. And I said, okay, like it was a Tuesday. No, it was a Monday. And I said, okay, I can get a flight for Friday. And he said, no, you, you need to go tomorrow. And so of course I'm panicking and I'm freaking out and, and let's just like add another layer to this. Like three weeks before that I got bed bugs. Yeah. what? They're so real. And they're the worst thing because they just uproot your life. You've got to get rid of half your shit, everything. Yeah. Yeah, And then you got to wash the other half, maybe take a quarter. So you're just like dealing with everything again. Yeah. So I was like uprooted out of my apartment. I was, was like sharing an apartment with, Charlie and his brother lived together. And so I was staying with them. And so it was just like, all my clothes were everywhere. Everything was everywhere. A good friend of mine came over to Charlie's apartment and they like packed a bag for me and they just put a bunch of black clothes in there and a bunch of random things. And, and Charlie got me a ticket and they just like, I was like, okay, I gotta go. And I just left. Yeah. And, um, thank God I did because I, I got to her on the last day that she was having a conversation. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so glad you got there. And I think part of it is like, you know, they always say like they wait for the, for the people they need to see. And I totally believe that because everybody else was there or at least in like way closer than I was. And I got there and, and my family didn't even know I was coming. Like I called, I called June. <laughs> I was like, June, I'm coming home. I need somebody to pick me up at LaGuardia. And she was like, okay. And Eric drove course, down yeah. and Eric picked me up. And then he like met June halfway. And then June drove me up to the house and, um, because they're angels. And, um, so I got to the house and my dad was like, oh my God, like he had no idea. I mean, he was like running back and forth. He's still working. He's trying to handle my mom and like up and down. And like, we live in Stormville and going up so fast. Yeah. That's a trek. Yeah. So he's doing all these things. So I get there and if, I mean, he's like so relieved. He brings me up to the hospital and my mom, like her eyes went wide. Like she was like, that's Nicole. And of course the nurses are like that. Nicole lives in Texas. She's not here. And she was like, no, that's my daughter. Like, and I opened. She saw you like coming in. Yeah. 
and I opened, you know, I like went into the room and, and of course nurses are like, oh my gosh, okay, that is, we haven't seen this one before. That is Nicole. Um, and I did. And I, I had a whole conversation with her and I mean, she was like, you know, flipping my dad off and cursing and doing all the things that she normally does. Um, yeah. And we were like talking, good friends of mine had just gotten engaged and I was like, okay, you've got to help me. We got to get them an engagement gift. And she had like a whole list of, she was like, okay, I have a list of things. It's, you know, this is where it is at the house. Like she was there, you know, she totally mm -hmm. knew what was going on. Um, and then the next day was, that was like the last day she was having actual conversations. Yeah. So I totally believe that she, she needed, she waited for yeah, you. Yeah. She had to wait and she had seen the other kids and obviously my dad was there and finally the last one. And she just kept like, you know, turning over and she was like, that's my girl. My girl's here. And I was like, I got you girl. You're fine. You know, I, I literally just spent the next five, six days, maybe just sitting in the ICU with her. Um, and you know, she would come in and out and, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, those are the worst. I mean, hospitals are just the worst. Every time she woke up, all she said was she wanted to go home. Yeah. And again, talking with the amazing family down in Austin, the, the woman that I met, her name's Hillary. And I was speaking with her and she said, have you thought about hospice, you know, bringing her home under hospice mm -hmm. care? And, um, and I said, no, because I didn't know what that even was. Um, mm -hmm. and so I talked to my dad and we said, okay, absolutely. That's, we've got it. That's exactly what we need to do. We just need to bring her home because they had made the decision to take her off of everything and just, you know, ride it out. Um, which is like the worst thing, thing to hear. Yeah. Yeah. My, we did that with my nanny too, but yeah. she was on hospice. They said that she was going to be on hospice for like, I don't remember. They gave us months and it ended up being like a year. Oh my God. So yeah. it's very, very different. But. but that's the thing is that, you know, sometimes it's almost like, like they know, you know, they know mm -hmm. where they are and they even when the comfort. Yes. And she hadn't spoken, barely even opened her eyes in days. And the day that she was coming home, my dad went to the hospital and he said, okay, mom, we're going home. Her eyes shot open. By the time she came home, she was speaking to us. Like we said, are you excited to be home? And she's like, I'm so happy. And a bunch of people came over that night. And I mean, she would like, she literally like would lift her head up and say, oh, Marie, you look so pretty. Or Carrie, I love your shirt. Like mm -hmm. she acknowledged the people that were there. And we were like, oh my God, you stubborn girl. You didn't say anything for five days. And now all of a sudden, you know, and it's that like one last like glimmer of hope that you have. You're like, oh my gosh, yeah. is this... And then you, that reality hits you and you're like, no, that's not, a, you know, of course, that's why it was like adrenaline. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so she was home for maybe four days. Um, and then we had a feeling because it's kind of weird. She, so that Sunday was father's day and we were like, well, she's not going on father's day because she won't, she won't, you know, of course, like our brains were like, she wouldn't do that to dad. So father's day was the 18th. And then the next day, the 19th was actually the anniversary of her dad's death. Her dad died on June 19th and June 20th is her mom's birthday. And we were like, well, she's not going on Rita's birthday because 
there's going to be hell to pay for that. <laughs> so we kind of like had this, nobody had said it, but we all kind of were like, she's going to go, she's going to go tomorrow. She's going to go on the 19th. This is like, this is Beth and this is what she does. And my dad left for work at maybe like six. And I came down because a nurse was supposed to come around 645. And in that time is when she passed. So I came downstairs and I, I was like, I, I think she's gone. I mean, I like called her next door neighbor and I was like, I think she's gone. I don't know. Like, you don't know. You have no yeah. idea. And it's, I mean, it's not like. Yeah. It's not some thing like you see in a movie or something. Right. It's exactly. literally you. It, it literally looks like she's just sleeping. Yeah, um, exactly. So we called the nurse and I called my dad and, you know, I woke up everybody in the house and, yeah. um, and then the nurse came and, and called it and everything. And, and then it was just chaos because of course that's what happens when somebody passes away is there's just all this stuff. And luckily we had done a lot of it already. My dad and I had already, you know, gone to the funeral home and we had already gone to the cemetery. And, you know, so we, we had everything kind of on standby, which is really morbid, but we knew it was happening. No, so, I, um, yeah. it made that week a little less chaotic. Um, it's almost like you knew it was coming, but it was still very short amount of time that you knew. So it was like, you knew she was sick. She was getting better. And then when that doctor told you that, like, yeah. you didn't have much time from then. No, that's like I had 10 days. A shock in itself. Yeah. 10 days. So I flew home on the 9th and she passed on the 19th. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was, and that, I mean, that's when I saw her and I saw her at Christmas time. That's it. So that was yeah. really, really hard. And that was yeah, the thing that like, after the fact, you know, like months after the fact, that was like when the guilt really set in, you know, where yeah. I was like I wasn't there. I wasn't there when she was sick and she needed her people. I wasn't there, you know, and that took a long time for me to kind of, obviously it's not my fault that she died. And I never blamed myself for that. No, I of course. For just not being there. And I, and I had to like, really remember that hang on a sec. She didn't want me there. <laughs> she wanted me. She wanted you to keep chasing your dream. Exactly. She, she, I was exactly where she wanted me to be. And she was very honest about that. And I got there when I needed to get there. I was able to talk to her. I, you know, I, I was able to say goodbye. And I, you know, and even when I went down that morning that she had passed and I figured that she was gone, I kind of like, before I called everybody and bring everyone else up, in. I kind of just like took a moment to be with her. And I was like, okay, nobody else gets this. This is my time with her because I didn't get that time before, you know? And yeah. I mean, I talked to my mom literally every single day for at least 45 minutes, if not longer. It's not like I moved and I was just completely like MIA. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I mean, she could talk for hours and hours and hours. And so can I clearly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. I'm the same way with my mom. Yeah. And I feel like, and that's the thing I worry about moving and things right. like that. I literally, I mean, unfortunately, most of us will outlive our mom, right. but it's, I feel like such a big fear, number one. And for you to deal with it at a young age, so unexpectedly is something I don't even know how 
I would be able to deal with it. It's like, right. I worry about my mom dying. And as far as I know, knock on wood, she's healthy. So right. it's just like, I can't imagine what you went through and you're so brave for talking about it. But mm-hmm. do you think that, like you said, you went to therapy and like just really had to address like the guilt you felt and everything. I feel like everyone will feel guilty because you always feel like you can do more. Right. I felt like that with my nanny. I feel like mm-hmm. that with my poppy sometimes. It's just mm-hmm. like when you lose someone, you just rethink everything that you've done in your life, honestly, in my opinion. Yes. And I don't think that I didn't go to therapy for the loss of my grandmother or anything. But when you went, did they just help you figure out how to cope with that better? Or is it like, does it get better? I feel like my mom says about her mom, she's much older, but Mm -hmm. she said it doesn't get easier. You just learn how to deal with it. Yes, that's correct. (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't get any easier. So I did go to therapy for a little while. Another wonderful family down in Austin. I was just so lucky down there. There were really, really great people that were super supportive and they sponsored me because therapy is expensive and dancers do not. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, So I went to therapy and I didn't go for too long because the therapist was using, I can't remember now it's kind of escaping me that technique that they use on um, like PTSD. I can't remember what the technique is, but basically what the therapist was trying to, I had told her that I was the one that found her. And I say that Mm -hmm. air quotes because it's not like she was murdered. It's not like it was this, you know, yeah. But I was no, the one that's that, still traumatic. Yeah. Right. And so basically what she was trying to do was to kind of get me to forget that image of her there and, and find images of her when she was healthy or before that. And the truth was, I didn't want to forget that because that was actually a really special thing for me. And I thought, you know, like I said, I'm the only person that, you know, this is my time with her. Yeah. And I, I was able to, you know, say goodbye in in my own way. And so I didn't want to forget that. And she was really fixated on it. So I kind of, I was like, okay, I'm not going to continue with that because it's not really helping me. It's, it's almost frustrating me. And I found myself trying to give the answers that she wanted me to give. That's not what therapy is for. Yeah. So I stopped that, um, which was fine. And luckily I, um, Charlie's one of, one of his sisters was abroad for the year teaching English. And so we took care of her dog, the cutest pit bull terrier. Her name's Bernie. And she was like my therapy dog. I mean, she, that's amazing. Yeah. I, I never had a dog or a pet growing up, so I didn't really know the power that they have and the ability that they have to like really comfort you. And and that dog was like such a saving grace. And I mean, and Charlie was just wonderful. And that shows that everyone grieves so differently and traumas can affect everyone so differently. There's yes. no right way to There's deal no with right it. There's no right way. No, yeah. Right. So I had a dog, which was amazing. <laughs> and I, um, I had started reading. I had never read Harry Potter ever. What? I know. Well, all of my siblings had read it and you know everybody under the sun has read Harry Potter and so I had actually I didn't bring any books home when I had to fly home suddenly and my brother was like okay why don't you read Harry Potter like that's good to read in the hospital kind of like takes your mind off of it and so I had started when I was sitting with her in ICU and when I got back to Austin after everything um I kind of picked it back up again 
And so, and I finished like all seven, seven books, whatever. I finished all the books in like just a couple of months. And I, and it just gave me this world to escape to. Yeah. I really did because my life was in pieces. You know, I had lost my career. I had lost the most important person in my life. And I just, I, I really didn't know what to do. I was so lost. I was so lonely. And of course, you know, I had friends and family and people constantly checking in on me, but I, I felt I, I was so alone, you know, and it sounds so silly like that this 22 year old was, you know, finding an escape through Harry Potter, but that's what I did. No, not at and all. And I read those books and I was, and it, it like, it really did. It just, it made me feel so much better. So that's amazing though. I read Harry Potter. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. If you read Clifford, the big red dog, if it helps you (laughs) feel good, then it doesn't matter. Right. And then I got on that reading kick and I, um, somebody had suggested the book, um, option B by Sheryl Sandberg, uh, which is a wonderful book about, she had lost her husband suddenly. And so it's basically like, okay, well you don't have this option A of, you know, yeah, spending life with this person or, or, you know, having this loved one with you all the time. You don't have that option anymore. So now we're in option B and here's how we're going to go. You know, here's how we're going to get through it. And that was an amazing book. And then there was another book called Modern Loss. Um, and actually one of the, one of the co-authors, she now lives in Manhattan, but she lived in Austin and I babysat her oh, kids. That is amazing. Yeah. And so she, she was in town for the release of the book. And I was like, I'm going. And I was talking to her and she was like, this is perfect for you. So I read that. And that's just like, it's funny and it's witty and it's really, really raw. And it's just like, you need to find a community, you know, like with anything. When you get to college, you don't feel like you're really in it until you've got your people, you know, and, and that they, and they get you and you get them. And and it's, it's the same thing with loss, you know, especially when you're young. I don't know a lot of people my age that have lost a parent. Thank God. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know yeah. that many people. However, when you do find those people, you have this connection with them and you have this understanding. And even though it might not be the same, you know, kind of Situation. loss or, yeah, you just, you, there's this, there's this underlying, like, I get it, you know, and, and I did, and I met some of those people. How did you meet them? Um, So one, actually, one of the former dancers at Ballet Austin, she was uh, coming back into town and creating this site-specific evening of dance, and it was based on loss. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was kind of a story about like a family and the aunt has an illness and the aunt dies and and one of the other cast members she had just lost her dad her name's also nicole <laughs> she had just lost her dad that january and i lost my mom that june we didn't know each other and we didn't know that we had actually experienced that mm-hmm. until we started talking about you know we were in rehearsal and and i kind of got a little upset and she got a little upset and i was like i'm so sorry i just lost my mom she's like i just lost my dad and so it was just like okay yeah it's like a relief that you it can is. hug each other and understand. Yes. And that's the thing is that you feel alone because you feel like nobody gets it, yeah. you know, and you don't want to talk to your family about it because they're all grieving. They're all a different relationship. Yeah. Right? And they're all trying to process this 
and you don't want to burden them with your hurt and your pain. And so you kind of try to outsource it and then you find these people and you, you, you make this connection with them and we still talk to each other. She lives in California. And, you know, if I ever post something about my mom or she posts about her dad or just randomly, you know, we'll just check in on each other. And, you know, and there's a bunch of other people. And I started to notice when people would post like, I just lost my mom or I just lost so-and-so. And I had never noticed that step. Like, you know, of course I saw it, but I had never like, or felt the same when you saw it. And so I started to, a a friend of mine from college, her mom passed away and I wrote her a letter and I was like, you don't need to respond to me because I know that you're getting a thousand people trying to contact you all the time. This is what's helped me. I'm here for you. You know, so finding your community is really important because it will, obviously it doesn't replace that person that you lost, but it gives you a sense of belonging and it, it does start to fill some of that void that is always going to be there. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you feel like you've got people that you can talk to that just get it or people that you can just be like, this sucks. And that's it. Yeah. And that's all you have to say. And they're like, yep. Sometimes you don't, you don't want to talk about it. Or sometimes you don't even want You don't want to have to explain why you're crying or you don't want to have to explain why you're just in such a bad mood or, you know, like, you just have to say, God, this just really sucks. And that's yeah. it, you know? So for people that are going through that kind of situation, if people want to reach out to me too, that's totally fine because it's, it's hard. It's Thank so you. hard and it doesn't get easier. It doesn't. Like I initially thought I was like worried that there were going to be days that I didn't think of her you know, which is kind of a weird Mm -hmm. thing to think about. But I was, I was so worried that I was gonna like go through a day and forget that my mom was dead, which is really strange, but I don't, I really don't. I think of her every single day and not always, I'm not always sad about it, but I do. I think of her every day and I, and it gives you a sense of, I don't want to say purpose, but now more than before, more than when she was alive, I think, okay, I've, I've got to do this because this is what mom wants me to do. Yeah. Or or that, you know, like this is, yeah, this is what she would want me to do. This is the way that she would handle this. Or this is, you know, or I would do something and I'd be like, oh my God, mom's like rolling in her grave, you know, like, (laughs) so, so I do, I think of her every single day, especially now, like, trying to plan a wedding and nobody ever wants to do that without their mom. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And coming to the realization that with every happy thing comes a really sad thing, you know, because of course I am so excited to get married, but it's like, my mom will never see that, you know, she won't get to help plan and she won't get to go dress shopping. And, you know, so there's like, it's like an extra set of preparation, you know, like I have to prepare myself to go wedding dress shopping because I know it's going to be sad partially. Yeah. I don't think I will go a day without thinking about her. Yeah. Because so, it's on your sad days you think about her because you want to call her and on your happy days you think about her because you want to share it. Exactly. Exactly. So, and there's even, I mean, this sounds crazy, but like I would, it's not crazy. for a while, I would literally go... Her, we loved to shop together. She loved 
to like style me and you know, she in her day was you always looked cute <laughs> and so whatever so that was we loved to go shopping together and I would literally for a long time like stand in the dressing room of like a TJ Maxx and be like all right what do you think girl and I would like yeah. wait and then finally I would like maybe look and like see a hole or I would see that the zipper doesn't work all the way and I'd be like all right we don't like this, you know, yeah. like so bizarre to do. No, but you find those things that yes. make you feel them. And I also, she was a firm believer in signs. Like she believed in signs. She believed really? that, oh my gosh, yes. She, so do you get them a lot now? Do you feel that you do? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh my and God. I knew that. That's I knew, so amazing. Yes. And I knew because she was like such a sign person, I was like, Okay, I am gonna. <laughs> this is great. I'm so excited to hear from her. And I'll like, <laughs> and she, um, yeah. So that's what, like, you know, standing in TJ Maxx and being like, okay, what are your thoughts? And I would, you know, find a hole or I would, yeah, I would think it's super cute and then I put it on and it's, I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. So I'm still getting your opinion. I said, you know, you're still keeping that connection. Right, exactly. No matter what. So, yeah, it's, it's super hard. It's not easy going from talking to her every single day. It was so hard to kind of like put that into words. And then of course I love Taylor Swift and she had like come out with that song about her mom having cancer. And there was that um, lyric where she said, um, what am I supposed to do if there's no you? And I was like, yeah, that's it. It's like, that's it. That makes sense. That's how you feel. Yeah. Because that doesn't go away. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, there's so many things. I mean, especially planning a wedding. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I mean, we really haven't done anything because COVID and. She'll give you a sign. But also, yeah, but also partially out of fear because I'm like, I don't know how to do this without her, you know? And I'm, I'm like, kind of have to come to that realization. I'm like, okay, well, she's not here. I've got to do this on my own. I've got to you know, not on my own. Of course there's like, you have to find the people that are going to support you through it already. Like, what can I do? But it's, it's still, it's like, okay, I, she's not here, you know? Yeah. Even if those people help, they're not going to give you the feeling that she would have. Right. And it's that, you know, everybody trying to tiptoe that line of like wanting to be there and wanting to do what they can, but not wanting to overstep and be respectful of, you know, not wanting to take her place. But I'm like, yes. please, somebody, <laughs> somebody yeah. <took> this place. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, nope, it doesn't get easier. You figure out how to get through it. And you find there are so many people and I'm really lucky. There, there are a lot of people that love me. You know, there are a lot of people that support me and that encourage me and, and remind me of how much my mom, like a lot of her friends remind me like, this is what your mom would have wanted you to do, or this is what, you know, this is what they reassure you. Yeah. Like your mom would be on board with this decision or, well, what would your mom think of that? You know, and not that you have to live your life based on what, you know, your mom, mom but but it's, it's kind of, you know, comforting to know I've got people have my back. People are here for me. You can get through it. Yeah. Something that really drove me crazy that people would say was like, oh my gosh, you, 
you know, you lost your mom and you didn't get that job. And so now your career's, you know, in shambles. They would say that to you? Well, they would just be like, I don't know how you get through it. I don't know how you're getting through it. And I just kept saying, what is my fucking alternative? Sorry. Like, no, you can curse. I curse all the time. I was like, (laughs) what is my alternative? I don't have another option. That's also just not helpful to say. Besides that. But I'm like, I have to, I have to keep moving. I have to go to work. I have to earn a living. I have to figure out what my career is going to be. I've got to pick up these pieces and how am I getting through it? Very, it's difficult. I'm not getting through it easily. And I'm also somebody, so it's like partially my fault because I'm not somebody that really opens up very easily. And I'm not somebody like I am the motherly figure, you know, like in my family and everything. So I feel like you've always had a little bit of that. I feel like I've always felt so comfortable and like, yeah, Nicole will tell me if I'm being stupid in class or something. <laughs> like, Nicole, don't do that. <laughs> I know because, yeah. Oh, God. What no, but that's such a good trait. I mean, I've always enjoyed being around you. And I think that that's something also that obviously might be hard because you're trying to be that strong person. Right. Exactly. But I mean, are there certain people that you know you can go to and like you just have to get to that point and do it yourself? Because I'm also an annoying flow of emotion outward all the time. But my sister is more like you where she is like, don't bother me. I'll talk to you when I'm ready. Yes. Yeah. So I, I was pretty closed off because also even for the first couple of years, like the first year after she passed was my little brother's senior year of high school. So also never mind me like losing her at 22. Michael was 17. Even that is such a different loss. She didn't didn't even get to see him graduate high school. You know, like she got to see me graduate college. So that's the other side of the coin is like, yeah, she's not going to see me do all these other things, but she did get to see me graduate college. She did get to see me live out my dream. She did, you know, like anyway. So, you know, my little brother was graduating high school. So it was like, okay, let's make sure we're this, we've got this plan and do we have the tickets and what are you doing for prom? And, you know, so it was like, I had these distractions with the family. So I didn't have to talk to them about mom, you know? And then the following year, my sister graduated from college. So there was, you know, like, it was like, okay, always what are your plans for after school? What can I help you with? You know? So I had these, these things to do for my family that, and my dad, you know, is the most amazing man, but he lost his partner. You know, that's Mm -hmm. also a totally different loss. And he was completely lost. I mean, he was like, he, he had no idea what to do. So, you know, I had all these things that I could do to help my family. And then finally it was like, there was a year this past year where I was like, okay, well, nobody Nobody needs anything. Now I finally have to deal with myself. Now I finally have to start to, you know, heal. Yes. And I, I do, I have a good, a wonderful group of friends, you know, they, they they're always checking up on me and they're always, you know, they like know what's going to trigger it. They know what's going to make me happy. They know what's going to make me sad. And of course, (laughs) poor Charlie was just thrown into this like just a few months into us but he's your person that's so amazing yeah he was able to be there through that too and he got to meet her yeah so actually he met her (laughs) he met her before we started dating and my mom so okay so real fast charlie was actually the last person in his family that i met because i went to school with his brother 
his brother's also oh. a dancer and we both oh. went to purchase together. And so I had met his parents at performances and stuff. And the summer before I moved down to Austin, I stayed at his brother's place and he lived with one of his sisters and the other oh sister gosh. was in town. So I was like l- hanging out, living with his sisters. That is so cool. I literally didn't even know he existed. And then when I moved down there is when he moved down and that's when I met him. So he was like the last person that I met and we were friends for a whole year. And it was at the end of that year when my mom came down to visit and, you know, we like had a little game night and they, he came over with a bunch of people. And then when they all left, my mom literally looked at me and she was like, why don't you date Charles? And my <gasps> response was like, ew, that's Oliver's brother. <laughs> And here we are today (laughs) with a ring on your finger. (laughs) Seriously. And it was like two months later and we were dating. Oh my God. So she knew from the start. She was like, that's amazing. You need to date. And that's like a blessing too. Seriously. And I never really got to talk to her too much about him. Um, Mm -hmm. But her, she saw it. She saw it and she knew it. And her friends, she must've talked to her friends a bunch about it because her friends, you know, told me they were like your mom loved Charlie like she knew she felt really good about him and she you know that's amazing yeah so that I'm so thankful that they got to yeah yeah, and that he even though we weren't dating he did get to meet her when she was her you know yeah so um yeah so that's (laughs) that's That's like of course she's like hitting me behind the head why don't you date (laughs) (laughs) she really was like he is funny and he is cute and he's calm. And Nicole, you need calm. You need calm. (laughs) That's so funny. I I need calm. He, he, he really pulls me back to reality and he is slowly helping my neurotic self. And yes. So he has been wonderful through all of this. And, you know, of course he's, he has both of his parents, so he does not, have that get it the same way yeah but he's very much you know there for you he knows me well enough to he knows when I'm gonna burst and he you know so are there things that people say like I don't know if when people tiptoe around talking about their mom because they don't want to bring it up because you lost yours or or things that maybe people said aside from the fact that they said I don't know how you got through it which really pisses me off and I'm sorry (laughs) that people said that to you but are there things that like a lot of people do say and maybe don't realize that it's or do and don't realize that it's kind of annoying or hurtful or frustrating for someone who just went through a loss like yeah, that? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's things that frustrate me. I think it's more like so especially through teaching and you know, I see I mean, being at the dance studio with my mom is like literally our life. And she, I mean, she worked at most of the studios I went to, to help pay for classes and everything. And so I have such a deep connection and so many memories of her and I being at the studio that seeing the kids with their moms, um, you know, like I triggering maybe. Yeah. And it's nothing that they would ever say or do maliciously or anything it was just more me kind of like being angry at the fact that I don't get that you know that yeah 
So I don't think that there's anything that they, not that I can think of. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's good that that's, yeah. (laughs) And also, and I like, there have been, I guess more towards the beginning, people would, I guess, tiptoe or like my friends would be worried about, I have a few friends that would like it if they would kind of like complain about, okay, well, here she comes, here she goes, she's calling me again. And oh my gosh, I don't need to talk to her about all these things. And yeah, and there was a few times where I would say, answer that phone. Like you have a mom that's trying to call you. You yeah. have a mom that's living. You need yeah. to answer your phone, you know, or like, mm-hmm. yeah, she's really annoying you now, but if I could have one more day of my mom annoying me, I would take it. Of course. Yeah. And I think that was part of me just like being bitter and being sad and angry. And now it doesn't bother me. Yeah. That, I think that's totally normal for that to bother you in the beginning. If people are being like ungrateful for the blessing that they don't realize they have. I mean, I I've seen frames in target that say, call your mom. Oh, like yeah. moms are literally the most taken for granted they thing are. on the world. Oh my God. <laughs> they, they so are. And I, I mean, and I did call my mom every day, every day. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom, that's so good. That's why. Yeah. yeah. She was very much of the thought when I went away to school, she was like, I'm not calling you. I don't know your schedule. I'm not, I don't want to interrupt you now. Now you have your life, you know, now you're growing up and it's going to be your responsibility to talk to me unless there's something I need to know in the moment. I will call you. So she was very much, she was really good about like giving me my independence. And, and I think that kind of played a part in like, okay, well, I want to talk to you. Yeah. I'm going to call you every day because I'm going to talk to you about so many things every day. Yeah. So so I did call my mom every day and I'm, and now I look back and I'm so grateful. I'm so glad that, I mean, I would literally like sit in the car for an hour after parking in my apartment car (laughs) because I was just sitting there talking to her and I'm so glad. So happy that I did that. And that's why even, I mean, you said that you dealt with guilt and everything. You were still there, even though you physically weren't there. Like you were so connected to her at all times. And yes, she, so I feel like obviously I didn't know her in the late, like the last year, but I just feel like she did kind of just look at you like, that's my girl, like following her dreams all the time. And you did that for her and you. So she's proud, I'm sure. And that's, and and I look back and, you know, I, I do, I feel bad and I wish I was there, but at the same time, she would feel bad. Exactly. And me being, yeah, make any, I, I'm not a doctor. I, I can't cure cancer. I can't, you know, I was doing exactly what I needed to do and exactly what she wanted me to do. I think, especially because I wasn't hired, I would have looked if I had taken time off or I had let my mom's illness affect my job, I would have looked back and I would have wondered if that was the reason that I didn't get the job. And my mom would have thought the same thing and she would have blamed herself. And I can look back on all of that and say, no, I did everything that I possibly could have. That just was not in the cards for me. You know, I did all the things. I did everything right. I did. I worked as hard as I could. I put this first. I, you know, and it just, that's just not what it wasn't meant to happen. 
You know, Mm -hmm. I don't look back and wonder like, oh my gosh, was it because I went home and I missed that rehearsal? And I, you know, I know that it, it it had nothing to do with, with my mom, you know, which makes me feel better. And, you know, it, it, it separates that even though everything happened within like three months of each other, yeah, I know that that had nothing to do with my mom. Yeah. And you can feel good knowing that she won't, she wouldn't have had guilt thinking you came right. home for that because right. I think most moms feel guilt about anything like that. Yes. And so she was able to say, Nicole's still doing it. She's still right. good. And when you walked in the door that day, she had what she needed. Exactly. And that's the thing, like for people that, cause you had talked about being worried about moving away or for people that really want to follow the yeah. games and that's going to take them far away, but have that fear. That's me. <laughs> it depends on like what phase of life you're in, you know? I mean, yeah. in these freaking funnies, man, they, know. we're figuring it out, right? We, we've got to, we've got to take, take the chances and the opportunities that we're given. And nine out of 10 times our parents would totally tell us to do that. Yeah. My mom is so supportive and I just feel like I'm like you, I just overanalyze, over worry about everything. And I'm just like, God forbid I miss, I don't know. I I mean, the thing is though, but like, I agree with what you're saying. Like your mom wanted that for you. So I totally believe. And my mom wants me to go to California because she knows I want to, Right. but she also has like this tear in her eye, like, don't go that far. I know. And it's hard. Oh. And it, it was, it was, I mean, when I first moved out to Austin, I was just like, oh my gosh, living the dream. This is great. Yeah. I, you know, this, I knew for a while because I knew that I didn't want to live in New York. So I knew that I was going to be probably pretty far from home. And so I was yeah. already at peace with that. Preparing. Yeah. yeah. And my family knew that. I, I don't want to say I was okay that year that she was sick, but I was, I was all right because I was still dancing. Yeah. And it was after that, after she was gone, because she was our main communicator, you know, like mm-hmm. she told me what everybody was up to and she told yeah. me what my dad was doing and she, and you know, and what my cousins and my aunt and da 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 and who's having a baby and who's doing this. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, she was literally the news. So, yeah. <laughs> so we lost that and we had to learn I mean, my dad had to like learn how to hold more than a 30 second conversation with us on the phone, you know, because he just doesn't talk. Oh my God. Yeah. No, my dad, this, my dad's the same way. That's so funny. Yeah. So he had to learn how to like call me and have a conversation with me and find out what was going on. And, you know, yeah. And that's hard. That's so hard. And he, I mean, he is doing a fantastic job. He really is. And he, and it's hard too, because it's like, we're grown up, you know, like, we are adults. And so it's this weird dynamic of, okay, I don't need to raise them because they've already been raised, but I do need to figure out how to still be there for them. But I, I, I wasn't, not that he wasn't present for us being, you know, growing up, but my mom just did the bulk of raising us because he was always working. Of course. So he kind of like had to relearn who we were as adults. It was so hard for him to navigate. And so we're like dealing with that, trying to figure out how to communicate with each other while we're grieving. And it's just this, it's just this whole shit show, you know? Yeah. But I do not regret moving to Austin. I don't regret staying there for five years. I missed my family. I missed them like crazy, especially after my mom died. I really longed to go home way more often and for longer periods of time, but I don't regret going. 
because I lived in an amazing city and I met the love of my life and I found, I mean, I would have never met this family that has literally become my family. I mean, they like threw us an impromptu engagement party out on the lawn because it was during, it's, you know, it was in May in the height of COVID. And, um, so I'm so happy for you. Yeah. I feel like obviously you've dealt with this horrible loss, but you seem so just strong in knowing that you've, you've done what you're supposed to do and, yeah. and your mom's proud of you. And that's, I feel like not everyone gets that peace of mind. So I'm just really happy for you. And I think that's amazing. And I totally agree because yeah. you have had that dream forever. And I'm, I was so excited to see you do it. Yeah. And I can only imagine how proud she is. Oh, absolutely. And she, you know, it teaches you resilience. That's every time, you know, you're knocked down and every time there's losses and there's, you know, disappointments, it's really how you come out of them and you just become more and more resilient. And so now even with, you know, dealing with COVID, I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is nothing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I have found the lowest of the lows. Now, anytime there's some type of struggle or disappointment, I think, nope, this is nothing. I've got this. Yeah. You know, like there's literally nothing at this point in my life, there's nothing that could be any worse than what I dealt with a few years ago. So I just am like, okay, really, there's nowhere to go but up. And, and there are exciting things to look forward to in the next few years. Actually, something I remember, I called my parents like a, a month or so after I wasn't hired. And I said, you know, I feel really bad. I don't think I'm going to get a dance job. And I, I need to know that you guys are on board with me not doing this full time, at least for this year, because I just feel really guilty. And I feel bad that you put so much time and money and effort into me having this career. And now I'm not doing it this year. Like, and my, you know, and they, of course, made me feel great about it. And my mom texted me after and she and I screenshot it. Well, actually, I have never deleted her conversation. It's still there. But she said, you know, life is going to throw you curveballs, and it's your choice how you want to deal with them. And we are always going to support you. And we're always going to, you know, give our opinions and provide you with whatever we can provide you with. And, but it's your decision, how you, how you want to handle them, you know? So that, so I kind of just like go into all decision-making with that yeah. mind, like, okay, I can have this plan and I can have these things but I have to be ready for when life hits me and what am I going to do when that happens, you know? And who can I turn to that's going to be there to help me? So yeah, yeah. She's, she's, she's still helping me. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you all have a great week ahead and remember to rate comment or review swiping Sunday so that I can make sure next episode is even better. Bye guys.